first people and then space and then buildings and that the other way around never works. Welcome back to the Understanding Urbanism podcast. I'm Dallas Rogers. It's really great to have you along. This is the podcast that accompanies the book of the same name, Understanding Urbanism, which is edited by me, Dallas Rogers, Adrian Keane, Tehran Alizahe, and Jacqueline Nelson. And the book is published by Palgrave Macmillan. In this episode, we'll be talking about Chapter 5, Design Cities. The chapter is written by Dina Rittner and Tehran Alizahe, and I'm paraphrasing and quoting Dina and Tehran in this episode. And we've already heard from Dina. Um, hi, I'm Dina, and I'm a got a foot in practice and a foot in academia in terms of being an urban designer. I work at the city of Parramatta part-time as a specialist urban designer, working on some of the city shaping projects they have with the River Strategy and Civic Link. I'm trained as an architect, and I've mainly worked in private practice, so my foray into urban design and local government is a new experience. Um, I've also worked in state government working on some significant kind of design policy around departments. When I'm not in practice, I teach at Sydney University in the Urban Design Studios in the Masters of Urbanism and Urban Design program. And like always, this podcast is an interpretation of Dina and Tehran's work, and any errors, if there are any, are my own. And it's also important to note that I recorded this episode on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation here in Sydney, Australia. My three key takeaways from this chapter are, first, urban design is a profession, a practice and a methodology. Second, design thinking is a way of organising the way you undertake this profession and practice. And three... Urban precedents are important to urban design, and we'll talk through six of them in this episode. And what's it like to span practice and teaching? Um, sometimes it's challenging. They're very different headspaces, but I think that they benefit each other in that practice, I really get to see things in a different way through academia and get to test things that you might not get to do in real life through the studios with the students. And then in practice, you get to bring ideas in that people might not be thinking about because you've been able to look at things in a different way. But at the same time, you get to bring students real experiences and real stories from practice that help them in their career. I'd like to start by asking you the question, what is urban design? And I guess we could ask that question in one of two ways. We could ask it as an academic idea, or we could ask it as a practice that's something you do. Let's start with practice. Talk us through like a, a day in the life of someone at Parramatta Council. Oh, the day <laughs> in the life. <laughs> that is challenging. I think that being an urban designer means that I come from a a design background and I bring a kind of spatial understanding of the city and an understanding of how people use space and movement through the city and how that can inform planning because I'm effectively working in a planning organization. And that can be quite challenging because in that environment, 
there's only a few of us and many other disciplines. And so you're trying to influence all these other real concerns that we have in making cities and kind of getting a voice in there for the physical form of the city. Um, so it means collaborating a lot, it means talking to everybody you can. And the more people that you talk to, the better the outcome is going to be. I mean, you do have to compromise, but it means that you can socialize your ideas and make sure that you take on board everybody else's ideas also. And so it is a very collaborative process. Mm. What is urban design? Does it deal with a particular form of the built environment? Does it deal with a particular scale of the city? What is urban design? I think that urban design, for me personally, it's it's a process because I think many people do it many across as many disciplines, and it's effectively about shaping the city, the spaces between the buildings, and then the way the buildings make those shape those spaces and define our public spaces and our streets, and how those those physical aspects of the city influence then how people inhabit the city in their daily lives how they move around, how they engage with other people, um, how they just enjoy being able to sit in the sun and, you know, experience the city. As a built environment profession, why is urban design so important? I think it's important because cities have become really complex and so then have these disciplines that shape cities. And so we all have very complex considerations that we need to think about. And urban design kind of, it crosses all those disciplines. So you need to have a little bit of everything in order to figure out how does a space actually work in the city. So we're not um, an architect, we're not delivering a specific building, we're not even delivering maybe the detailed design of what a park might be, but we're, uh, we're looking at the structure of the city and what the city needs and setting up that framework for all these others to work within. Mm-hmm. And a key part of this is the idea of design thinking. Isn't yeah. kind of like back of the envelope definition? What is design thinking? So design thinking has come out of design design disciplines. And it's really a process which sees that you understand a problem, you define a problem by analyzing what the needs might be. And then you look at how that can be synthesized into a framework for what that project might be exploring. And then you look at solutions through an options process where you can come up with lots of different ways of solving the problem and socialize that and discuss that with others in order to come up with a preferred option. So it's a way of kind of working through a process. And often it's very iterative. So you sometimes need to go back a couple steps to to rethink an assumption to move forward or to get agreement amongst a whole lot of people in terms of what the outcome is. And it's through that process that you might actually refine the problem itself, but also the solution. Mm, it's like methodology in some ways. It is. And how does that work in the design, the urban design process? How does that fit into that process? Yeah. We, we do the same thing. So in an urban design, it's very much associated with place. And so fundamental to any urban design project is understanding place. And so we start at that understanding phase. We do an urban analysis. We draw the layers of the city and understand all the components and the elements that go into making a city in order to then figure out what are the opportunities and constraints in this place in terms of um, how does it respond to the brief, like if it's the government's, what they're trying to achieve, or a private developer. And then we convert that into kind of a vision, objectives that would guide the project, 
and then work through options that, that explore different ways to achieve it. And when it's good, it's more collaborative and you will always have a complex project team, but you should also have you know, public engagement throughout in an ideal sense so that you can test these ideas because ultimately you're making the city for everyone so that the end product is a place that suits the needs for the current and the future citizens. And I imagine that when you're going through that process, you need to draw on ideas that have come before in urban design, and we might call those precedents. I think you call them precedents. Yeah. And they are models, if you like, for thinking about how you might incorporate various elements, design elements into the current project. What is a precedent? Yeah. A precedent is an, it's an existing part of the city or a place in the city that we use to, you can explore it, you can analyze it, you can understand how it works today, but also understanding how it got to be there because there's different needs in the past as to why we've created the city in a certain way. So you have to be aware of that. But it's a good way to understand how we have thought about these solutions in the past, but also then to interrogate how well they work and what might need to change today to make them work better. So it's a kind of a tool. It's a design tool. So we have a port city and we have wharves in that city and we might have had a lot of wharf action in somewhere like Sydney over a very long period of time, but now we no longer ship into Sydney Harbour. The the port or the wharves are somewhere else and so we have to think about how those wharves came to be and what they tell us about urban design in that moment and what we might do with them in the, in the future. So. Yes. Exactly. And they bring that collective memory to like, you know, understanding our past and our heritage. And then how can some of that be brought into a new way of thinking about the city? And you talk about a number of different precedents in the chapter, rational cities, symbolic cities, garden cities, functional cities, mobile cities and transit oriented cities. We have talked about some of these in the chapter on urban planning before, but I thought you could just we could just run through these fairly quickly and you could give me a back-of-the-envelope definition of what some of the key features of these are. What are rational cities? Yeah, so the names are my own. Some of them are my own invention. But a rational city is, is really looking at a past way of making cities that used grids, actually. And so in history, we've used grids to create settlements, distinct settlements, but we've also used it, say, in the United States as almost a land speculation tool. So it sets a a big structure for an area or for a city, but then it also defines within it how smaller components are related to each other in that sort of orthogonal network. So it defines lots and the way buildings might sit within lots and the way public spaces fit with street networks. Mm. And you call it rational because it looks fairly rational. There's a logic to it. It's uh, grids and sections mapped out across the across space. Yeah. What about the symbolic city? The symbolic city is more of a city that is designed to have kind of a cultural, civic impact to it. So something like Paris or Washington, D.C., where it's, you know, an important city for that country. And so they use 
special buildings or landmarks and they're sited in ways which are highly visible. And so you end up with view quarters of streets that take those into account. And so it really creates a very particular city, but also it's trying to have that kind of public. The city is a spectacle itself almost. Yeah. Yeah. And then something that that everyone kind of values together. Mm. You know, it's a collective. I'm kind of thinking about Canberra, although yeah. that, that that might be a good example of some another type of model. But you know, where the urban design has a particular role in symbolising that this is the the capital. capital. Yeah, exactly. Uh, moving to something that might be quite close to Canberra, garden cities. What are garden cities? So garden cities are. There are a particular idea about cities that were really in response to the industrialization of cities where they were becoming overcrowded and polluted. And the garden cities were enabled by railways and transport that meant that people could move outside the city into the country, into a, a, a new form of city, which is often curvilinear, not necessarily so gridded, less dense, more landscape focus so that you're getting that better sense of health, light and air, and still able to go back to the city to work through this transport network. So we get a lot of open space and greenery between the buildings in a garden city. Yes. What about functional cities? The functional cities is what I've kind of used to to describe the, the modernist approach to cities. And that's also a response to kind of the industrialized city and also kind of devastation of World War One, needing to rebuild cities and looking at new models for how we could do that. So thinking that the urban morphology of our traditional cities was too dense, overcrowded, not healthy. And so the modernist city looked at saying, well, let's rethink those elements. Let's rethink what a block is and make it a tower. Let's rethink what a street is and make it a corridor in a building and sort of start to segregate the ground from the buildings and give space between the buildings so that you do get that landscape park towers in a park setting so that you get a really different way of living that they is also very much buying into the car as a necessity to function in that city because it's more spread out and also introduces an idea about zoning. So separating uses to make it healthier for people to live in residential areas. We've mentioned the car a few times. The cars had a huge impact on cities in the 20th century. What is the mobile city? Yeah, so that's what I decided to call it. Um, And it's not necessarily a designed thing. (laughs) It's a city that has kind of evolved from the car use. And so it's very much driven by that car landscape of freeways and strip malls and suburban neighborhoods and divided uses and very much relies on the car and creates that kind of decentralized city or what someone would say is urban sprawl, driven purely by that technology. Mm, So we get a piece of technology in the form of a motor vehicle, which has a whole economy behind it that starts to shape the landscape. Exactly. And designers then kind of hooked into it after the fact. Right. So people like Kevin Lynch and Apple Yard looking at, you know, what is the view from the car and then how do we design from it, which is kind of postmodernism also, that kind of signage architecture. Um, But they're just responding. They're not fixing. Yeah, yeah. What about Transit-oriented cities. I think of uh, Hong Kong as soon as I hear this term. (laughs) Um, I I don't think of Hong Kong. Don't you? (laughs) But it could be because I'm American. And it's very much kind of model that I think a lot of cities are 
currently a lot of places are modeling their cities on, which is that idea that we we go back to the the core of the city and we look at densifying cities around transport nodes and solving sprawl, so preventing that kind of decentralization. Some places looking at growth boundaries and controlling the extent of the city, but it means living in higher density, changing the way people live, and then looks at, from an urban design point of view, really changing the way that we think about dwellings, how we think about open space, how we think about people's mobility and use of public space puts a lot more demand on the public realm. And is it a shift towards public transport as well? Yes. It's like mass transport systems. Yes. Yep. Excellent. One of the things that we get students to do in a unit that would accompany this textbook is to go out into the city and read the landscape for various elements. So we ask them to read the landscape for economies or urban planning. What would you say about urban design? What should students go out and look for if they're trying to see the signs of urban design in the landscape? Yeah, they should watch people, I think. One is to watch what other people are doing in spaces and understand really how people really do use space and interact in space because I find that in university students sometimes claim certain things will happen because of the they do it in practice too um, but you actually need to go watch people it's kind of um, Jan Gell's methodology which is you actually observe people using space and document it so that you understand it and the other thing I would tell students to do is to notice where they walk when they walk through the city and the scale of things and how big um, like how big the, the footpath is, how how the building next to them functions, where the doors are, so they're an awning. Like to actually understand those those elements within the city as you move through it. And that relationship to the human scale is critical. Can you tell me a little bit about young girls' ideas? Um, well, he his view is that you first people and then space and then buildings and that the other way around never works and that what he's basically critiquing the main way that we do tend to design cities is the other way around we do focus on the buildings and a lot of that's development pressure from the industry Um, and he's saying that we shouldn't that should be the last thing we think about that the first thing we do is think about how people use the space of the city So we've talked about urban design that's gone before. Where is urban design heading? Where is the future of our cities heading? I think we're at a a real step change in the way the cities function and that with needing to take really seriously climate change and then looking at this people lens. So if we're thinking about making cities for people, but we have to be thinking about those future generations and the kind of city that we're leaving for them. And I think that means that we really need to seriously be looking at the models we're using, the kind of spaces we're creating and how they perform for the environment, for the planet, and thinking about the form in a different way. At the moment, I feel like, at least in practice, form is largely driven by economics and yield. And that puts a lot of pressure on the land and that we need to be thinking about different ways the footprints of development sit within the city to be able to make it work both for the environment and for the development sector. And um, that means changing the shape of the buildings, maybe, or 
changing the way they land and thinking about the public realm in a different way. And so I think that's our big challenge. And what would you say to young urbanists that are going out to get a job in the built environment professions today? What are some of the big challenges they'll see in the professions? I think it's urban design is is a challenging profession to be in. It's, you fight every day for a little bit of ground and to try to make people across a whole lot of other disciplines understand why it's important. And so I think it's about having a really clear idea about what you believe too. So when I say I'm an urban designer, I, I honestly believe that my job is to act for the public good. And that helps me then go into the practice and actually fight for the outcomes that I think are in the public good. Dina, it's been so good having you along today. Thanks. Thank you very much for having me.